0: Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. Thanks so much for joining in. So today's episode is with an author of a book I just read called Sidelined, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health. And you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it. uh, But once I started, I got into it and I really liked it. Um, I've been trying to bring on more authors of books related to health issues. Not too long ago, I had on Elena Konis, who wrote the book Vaccine Nation America's Changing Relationship with Immunization. And I highly recommend listening to that one, especially if you are interested in how various sentiments around vaccination evolved throughout history, at least the US history. I also had on Monsignor Steven Rossetti who wrote a book called An American Exorcist and that is actually one of my more popular episodes and I mean I get it he does exorcisms for a living and you're probably like well how is that related to health um well when I think of health I think of the mind body spirit connection whatever that spiritual element may be for a person I'm sure it it varies across the board, um, and plus, I wanted to hear how an exorcist weeds out underlying health conditions to say, "Okay, we got ourselves a demon here," or whatever they say. I don't, I don't think they say that, um, but it was cool. And I, yeah, I, of course, I wanted to hear about the exorcism. You know, like what goes on. Like, what, what are these demons saying to you? It's just, it's cool. Okay, so um, you can listen to that on the podcast uh monsignor stephen Rossetti, a lovely person who came on and today on the podcast we also have another lovely human being as fate would have it author susan salinger uh, she's with us today and she will be chatting about her book sidelined some of the fun stuff we will be talking about include why women statistically don't put themselves first when it comes to health issues and instead prioritize others We'll talk about why nice girls finish last, gender bias versus perceptual bias in the doctor's office, shame and blame, why women often blame themselves for their illnesses. We will talk about the wellness industry, Mm -hmm. the downside of positive psychology, how pharmaceutical ads target women, and a lot of interesting tidbits of how women, particularly how women's health issues have been misrepresented or downplayed throughout history, and I think this is the first podcast and probably the only one where I will use the phrase, wandering penis. Yes. So with that introduction, let's connect to Susan and hear what she has to say. All right, so we are connecting with Susan Salinger today, and I finished reading her book called Sidelined, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health, and Susan, I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't, sometimes Thank I, you know, you. I read books and I don't get into them, but I, I got into your book, and uh, I, uh, yes, and um, so I, it's an interesting topic, but let, let's start with you, Um Can you tell us more about yourself and and what inspired you to write this book?
1: Well, actually, uh, what inspired me was a number of things. I had been in business with my husband for many, many years, and then I retired, which was a really bad idea for me. I have far too much energy And I was driving myself crazy and my family. And they told me if I didn't go do something, they were going to shoot me. So I went back to school and took some anthropology classes. And for one of the classes, really medical anthropology. And for one of the classes, I did a project on women with hysterectomies. And many of them, um, I would say actually the majority had made the decision to have the surgery, but didn't feel they needed it. And I had had a similar experience, not with a hysterectomy, but many years ago, I agreed many, many years ago, I agreed to some exploratory surgery that I knew I didn't need, but I too agreed to it anyway. And so between my own experience and the the women I spoke with, I began to wonder how women make medical decisions. So then I did a lot of research and I talked to about 50 or 60 women, interviewed them, and um, many of them had had made decisions that they regretted. Many of them had just agreed to things that they hadn't researched, et cetera. And I, I, I purposely interviewed women with different diseases. And I found that many of them shared the same behavior, regardless of their particular disease. So I extrapolated a bunch of things that they had in common and wrote the book.
0: All right. And I like how you break down the book kind of like... Um you know based it's like decisions and things that women do wrong or un- to undermine our health right um and one thing you you talk about um or emphasize in the book is that women are caregivers they're you know they are responsible i think you said for 75% of all caretaking in the world so in the world yes in the world um so let's st- let's start with a broad question you can take it wherever you want <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, So why do women, why do we put ourselves second?
1: Well, that's a good question. And I mean, that goes back, I think, to the way we're socialized, you know, we're taught to play nice, we're taught not to be rude, we're taught to take care of others. And I think that that really um, affects how we take care of ourselves. You know, there was a fun study done where researchers asked women to prioritize, you know, who would they take care of first in this list that, that they were given? And first, of course, every, all women took care of their children. Then they took care of their pets, which really, that I loved that. I just loved it. I can totally sorry, relate honey. to that. Yeah. <laughs> saying, I mean, sorry, honey, I know you're really dying here, but the iguana we have, I mean, he really has to go to the vet, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then third, we take care of our elderly parents. And being elderly, I liked that. Fourth, we take care of our significant others. And then fifth, we take care of ourselves. And that surprised me because truly to take care of others, you've got to take care of yourself first. It's I think it's really hard to take care of other people, whether they're your children or your friends, if you're feeling like crap, it doesn't make sense. Um, so That's I can't so really answer why other than socialization, but I um, certainly think it that it's it's true and that the women and one of the women I met um who now has stage three breast cancer or did at the time of the interview because she delayed going back, she had to go in for a mammogram and she, they called her back for a second look and she didn't have a chance to go because of her, her kid was this and her kid was that and, and 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 she let it go and it was not a good end to the story.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really when you see like the tragedy of something like this cuz the disease continues to progress and um right most like many diseases are uh they trick you you know you think you think you feel okay so it's you're okay but that's not how it works unfortunately
1: no and as fact and, a, a friend of my daughter is just was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer she hadn't had a mammogram in 5 or 6 years and we really have to take care we just we're not doing what we need to do as women to take care of ourselves I mean that's basically what this book is suggested yeah and proving. I think um, yeah it's a, I make a strong argument if I say so myself
0: I know and I think too like in the U.S. Um, you know how expensive everything is too like it, it, right. it's not just your health but it's like well maybe if you can catch it earlier and it's sad it's sad that we have to think of these things but right you know right. it's uh medical care here is ridiculous um, price-wise. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so in chapter two, nice girls finish last. Yes. <laughs> that's, uh, well, I that's probably true. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, you discuss the importance of getting a second opinion. You write, before COVID-19, medical errors were the third leading cause of death in the U.S. behind heart disease and cancer. But um, this idea of a second opinion, why is that so important?
1: You know, um, that is like a basic question for me, because it's truly, in my opinion, one of, if not the most important chapter in the book. First of all, it's in 12 million Americans, men and women are misdiagnosed each year and women and minorities are 20 to 30% more likely to be misdiagnosed. So that's the first reason your chances for a misdiagnosis are great. And what I didn't know and that there's 20, 30, 40,000 diseases out there, and those are just the ones we know about. And so a doctor can't possibly keep up with all the latest information on all of them and all the literature, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that's one reason we also have to go to specialists, particularly when we have a, you know, when not for a cold, but when you have a serious diagnosis. And I think, too, that we, how do I say this, but doctors are people, you know, when we see what we expect to see. And I think that the same symptoms can appear like a stomach issue to a gastroenterologist or stress to a psychologist or joint issues to a rheumatologist. So again, you have to be very careful that the diagnosis you get is the accurate one. You so certainly don't want to be treated for something that you don't really have, as I was. I mean, they did surgery, which they didn't need to do. And I exposed myself to a lot of unnecessary risks. It's my own dumb fault, but there it is. This is a book of do what I say, not what I do. But anyway. I,
0: I would go easy on yourself. I think... Um... I think too, you know, like maybe everything is becoming so specialized. It's kind of like that uh, if you have a hammer, it's a nail.
1: Yes, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. Um, if you're going to, if you go to a surgeon, you're probably going to yeah. be told you need surgery. And it's, I mean, it's not, it's not the doctor's fault. I'm not blaming them in any way. They really believe it and they may be right. And there's just no way to know until maybe after the fact. But yeah. nevertheless. And I think, it's
0: hard to see a specialist too. I, I was just talking to someone recently who was trying to get to a psychiatrist, and the
1: the wait time was like oh, it's, it's, months. Yeah. My know, daughter's she, a therapist. She said she's never had so many calls. Oh. She went from having a very slow practice to being more busy than she wants to be. Oh, um, and she hates turning people away, but you know you can only do so much.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. So let's talk about gender bias versus perceptual. Bias. Uh, You quoted from a. a, There was a study done in 2016 that women had a 50 percent higher chance of receiving the wrong initial diagnosis following a heart attack.
1: Yeah, that might be old by now. I don't know (laughs) when the date on that was, but we still, still, regardless whether it's 50 percent or 40 percent or 30 percent, it doesn't matter. You don't want to be in that diagnostic predicament. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons for that gender bias certainly being one of them and by that i you know when i say gender bias i hit, it it sounds like there's a group of male doctors sitting in a room smoking cigars drinking beer and saying how can we mess up women that's not what i mean <laughs> not in the least but what i do mean is that i think that we know less about women's bodies than we do about men's bodies And I think the reasons for that are structural within the academia, really. There's less research done on women's issues. Women researchers are published less often than male researchers. Women researchers get less money than male researchers. So, I mean, if you're a woman researcher, woman doctor, researching a woman issue, you're going to be at the bottom of the funding and publication barrel. So as a result, I think that there are, there's a lot less known about women. Plus, as I said before, we see what we expect to see. For example, there was a great study done where they had, um, a group of doctors and they gave there was men patients and women patients both both all both groups of patients had the same cardiac risk factors and when they gave the fictitious uh, right up to the doctors, the doctors gave the men and women the same diagnosis that they needed a, a cardiac workup, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Soon as stress was mentioned, only 15% of the women got recommendations for a cardiac workup. And that's what I mean by perceptual bias, because the symptoms and the cardiac risks were exactly the same in the men and the women and stress just threw the whole thing off. So I think that that's a that's exactly what ge- where gender bias takes place. That's a that's a good example.
0: Yeah. No. Um. I I think and I think a lot of women who listen to this podcast probably could relate to, you know, an experience. Be- I think it's so common. You know. Because, yes. Yeah, yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's I stress. Should- yeah no absolutely calm down (laughs) yeah absolutely and you know it's so tempting also to apply you know women do suffer more from depression and anxieties so sometimes your doctor's right they may or he or she may or may not be blowing you off I think it's really hard to tell Um, and they all I mean because they may be correct as well we certainly do suffer more from depression than men do yeah yeah maybe because of gender bias I don't know
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I yeah I I wonder about that too um you know like uh if that is a true statistic I I haven't looked into this um yeah I know um or if like it's just not diagnosed as often and it goes on underdiagnosed in men Um, right yeah uh it's I think it's hard to it's probably hard to tell um But I do I you made a great point. You know, there's a lot of emphasis now in the clinical trial space to increase diversity. Yes. Um, in in many ways. And and they need to do that. Um, but w- women historically
1: have not been included in no. trials as much. And that's and yeah, incidentally, it's, it's it's much better now. I think yeah. the men and women are more equally distributed, but nevertheless, we still have that unfortunate history. We're yeah. still living with it. Yeah. Um,
0: um Okay. So this one was an interesting one in chapter three, you talk about, um, how often women blame themselves for illnesses. And you talked about discussing with different women, um, who had different, who were diagnosed with different diseases and
1: shame was a common factor. Shame. Yes. That's going to be my next book actually, because it sort of blew me away. Um, I don't do that when I'm, when I'm sick. I get enraged. I get angry. I I don't feel that I caused it. The women, most of the women, many of them, let me rephrase that, but many of them felt that they had caused it. And the reason they felt that is so many women I talked with blamed their illness on stress. And the fact that they got sick made them feel that they couldn't handle their stress, that they obviously couldn't manage their own lives. And that's why they were becoming ill. And so they saw their illness is almost like a news bulletin to the world that, oh, look, these women can't, I can't manage, she can't manage her life because she got sick. And now I know all about it. So they felt that that was just a, a public manifestation of their inability to manage things. And so, of course, they felt ashamed. They felt that their vulnerabilities were exposed through their illness. And I was, I cannot tell you how many people told me that how many women told me that in, in many, many different ways.
0: Wow, and it, that's, that's really, it's kind of sad to hear that. Um, yes,
1: yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. And you said this guilty. is your next book? You're going yeah, to- I'm going to write about shame and loneliness because I think what happens, and this is, I mean, now I'm talking about the new book, but it's sort of in, this, in the current book. But I think that there's a pandemic of silence around suffering I really do. And I think that one of the reasons is the shame about women and suffering. I think men too, but for different reasons. But I think for women, the reason is they feel so much shame. They blame themselves. They don't want to expose their weaknesses. They don't want to be seen as un- having an inability to manage. You know, women are supposed to do everything. So they don't talk about it. You know, I put together a couple of focus groups because I wanted some geographical diversity. And what I learned was not what I thought I was going to learn. But all of the women, and or most of the women in the focus groups, had never talked with anyone else about their illness other than their doctor. And that's so not me because I tell everybody, you know, ask me how I am and want how much time you have, you know. But, <laughs> but these women were so glad to be in the group because they really they could hear that this one, this woman, had the same issue they did, or this one over here had this had a similar issue. And they had, by by being silent, by not talking, they had denied themselves all the support that perhaps they could have received, and made me feel bad. It really did.
0: Yeah. No. And that, I mean, I think that's an interesting connection: shame and loneliness. I'm just thinking about it as as you're talking. Yeah. About
1: it. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that shame is a very um it can be fatal. You know, there was another study done where um researchers asked about I don't know how many a group of oh this watch keeps It's driving me nuts. Um, There was another study done where a group of women were asked how many of them would call 911 if they thought they were having a heart attack. And only 50% of them said they'd call the paramedics because they didn't want anybody to see their messy house. Oh my So that's shame on a different level. But can you imagine? No,
0: I will say, I think if I was having a heart attack, my first call would be to like someone to pick up my dog.
1: Yes, yeah, say you're taking <laughs> care of your pets. That's exactly what I
0: said. Yeah, like, can someone fe- make sure Bar- uh, Barnaby is fed? And yes. um, and then I called nine one one if I if I was still yes, breathing. Of
1: course, no, and I get <laughs> it completely. And I, I want to say like, don't tell anybody, but I might do the same thing. <laughs>
0: yeah. I it's uh. A, a friend and I were once were once talking about um like if we were in emergency situations, we were trying to create a tool that you would just press a button or something um, right maybe maybe there's room for multiple buttons, you know. To- <laughs> One goes I, to the doggy daycare, the other goes to 911.
1: When <laughs> I sent this, I had written this this study up. I think it's in the book somewhere. And my editor said she it was her line. She said, "Imagine this on your tombstone. If only she'd kept a neater house, she'd be alive today."
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow.
1: Yeah, I don't have that. You. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I guess but that is uh <laughs> that's a source of pride for a lot of people. I guess they're like, you know, they don't want to be judged. Um right. Right. Yeah yeah that and that goes way back i
1: guess um yeah i I think it does i think it does yeah is a woman's house her her what her haven or something I don't know
0: I have bras (laughs) hanging off my lampshades so I'm probably not
1: good for that study. Well I'm the opposite I have OCD I'm sure I do because my I mean my spices are alphabetized and my house is immaculate but trust me I really would call 911 no matter what honest I would
0: (laughs) um yeah that's good that's uh Jeez, takes all kinds um <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure um so you know I really I, I liked your point about uh how sometimes bad health just happens and this relates to shame right. too you know no matter yes, what we do is. no matter what we do sometimes we're gonna get we can get sick it's just sort of uh, it's life right life isn't fair that's, things yeah. happen you could eat all this you know you could take supplements work out every day detox or whatever the you know, the new wellness right. uh craze right. is, um, which I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a detox fan, but you know, lots of people need it. Yeah. Yeah, do all sorts of things. Right. Um, and they get sick. It, it reminded me of, uh, I, I knew somebody and she was a, a doctor actually, um, more so in the holistic space, but, it, and she got sick, she was diagnosed with cancer and she was afraid to tell people, and she was afraid to tell her followers on social media, um, and I think because she, she viewed it as a personal failing.
1: Yes. And that's yeah. what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. And I'm like, that's, and that's where I think uh, I get it too. Cause I could see it on social media, you know, like, oh, if you just do this or eliminate these toxins from your home or, right. you know, it's good to live a healthier life, but, but bad stuff can still just happen.
1: No, absolutely. Wow. Look, some people get COVID and some don't. Yeah. yeah. I've been exposed to it. I can't tell you how many times. Um, And I've never gotten it. And I mean, I'm 80 years old, and I've never gotten it. So it's just, it's just, it's random. Um, And I'm not, you know, I always, I think in the book, too, I tell the story about my father-in-law, who never exercised, ate nothing but red meat, smoked cigars every day, and his blood pressure, blood blood pressure was um, much lower than mine will ever be. I mean, it just, it is. He never ate vegetables. Yeah. you know all that stuff as he called it. Yeah, um, you just don't know. But yeah. I think what happens is uh, it's it's hard for people to accept. I think that uh, the illness is random because if you can say, "Well, look, I, I blame it on myself," or "I blame it on I'm allergy to my dog," whatever you do, I think it gives you it gives us a sense of control. Well, I know that I got sick because I did this. So if I don't do this again, then I won't be sick anymore. And I don't think I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Um, right, right. And I
0: and I think there's there are things we can do to lower our risk. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure.
1: I think that's I'm not saying is. that you you certainly have a, high, a, a What a higher chance of lung cancer if you smoke. Sure, sure. But there are people that get lung cancer that have never smoked. Exactly. Or, yeah. That's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they're wondering why they got it. And um. Yes.
1: Yes. Not
0: we don't know. Um, right, exactly. So that's, exactly. Um, I think that's really important, especially people who are very dedicated to a healthy lifestyle, um, right. just to keep that in mind so they don't uh ever get themselves in the shame blame game, you know?
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And don't think that because you're having such a healthy lifestyle, you don't need your, your checkups or your mammograms or bone density tests or whatever. Because yeah. everybody does. these. Some of these things, like you said, are silent. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: So sometimes, bad, I think that's like the, why do bad things happen in life, I guess. Uh, that's, <laughs> we've been asking that. It's probably written on I, a cave somewhere. Um, and
1: I, I think so. And I think it's universal. <laughs> it transcends cultures.
0: You know? Yes, yeah. We, we, we don't know. Some people but, are just lucky. and uh, That's right. Some people that's are just right. unlucky. I know. Absolutely. It's not necessarily <laughs> comforting to hear, but... Um, well, there we are. You um, you talk you talked a little bit uh, related to this theme about positive psychology. Yes. Uh, what, what I'd love to hear what
1: what your thoughts are on that. My thoughts are that although it, I, let's see where do I begin because it's kind of my thing. Um, in the first. <laughs> In the first place, I loathe it when people tell me to think positive. I just loathe it because if it was something was positive, I would have thought of it myself, you know. And I think that <laughs> the, the wellness industry and under underneath the wellness industry, and they, they've done a lot of good. And think positive can be can be helpful to some people some of the time. And I'm not suggesting you should walk around looking and feeling depressed. But by the same token, I think it's also a huge burden um in fact there's been some studies done on that where people women that were told who have breast cancer and were told to think positive some of them found it a burden and i also think that thinking positive implies that you have some control over whether you get sick or the course of your disease and as we were just saying that may or may not be true um my husband died about three years ago, suddenly and unexpectedly. And there was a couple of people that told me to think positive. And I'm thinking, you know, I had this fabulous marriage. What is positive about it? I mean, it was so almost conversation stopping. It just yeah. shut me up. These people don't get it. And there's yeah. nothing to say. Let's move on. And that's kind of what I think about that that phrase. Um And it does help some people. I'm not saying it doesn't. They, quote, look on the bright side. But sometimes there isn't a bright side. And I think we have to accept that and deal with it. And one of the studies I read said that people that, quote, thought positive, it was preventing them from pursuing a more accurate diagnosis. It, present, it prevented them from doing what they needed to do to be sure that they were taking the best care of themselves that they could under whatever circumstances they were in. So while I think it has some benefit, I think it is also can do more harm than good much of the time.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I like the line in your book where the science of positive psychology has not necessarily cut up with its promise. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: We don't want to... rely on it. Um, You know, like, if you're on a lifeboat, like,
1: (laughs) yeah, no, right, exactly. Well, you know, somebody, um, my daughter was on a trip and the lady that was staying at the house let the cat out by mistake. And she didn't go look for the cat. She was sitting there praying that the cat would come back. Oh and you know, we finally did after five days. And my other daughter and I went over there three times a day with treats. But I mean, I'm not against praying, but sometimes you have to take action on your own to either find the cat yeah. or research your diagnosis or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, nothing like being proactive to make you feel positive. And I really mean that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if my dog was missing, I would not be sitting at home praying. I would be out there like That's exactly.
1: searching, searching sure, night and day. <laughs> I mean, right. We take care of our pets yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um so you write a lot about how doctors communicate with their patients and um how that matters and why that matters, and particularly what doctors thought patients believed about their illnesses versus what the patients actually believed. Um, what, what, what do you mean by
1: that? I'm going to sort of turn your question around. Okay. doctor. Let, let me start by saying, I think some doctors do have some problems talking with patients, but I can't control that piece of it because uh, I mean, I, I haven't written a book for doctors. I wrote a book for patients and I think that patients have a problem talking to doctors and that we can control because that's ourselves. Um, And I think that, first of all, men and women talk to doctors differently. And men, when they describe their symptoms, for example, are much more succinct, much more objective. Women tend to describe their feelings, they sort of go into the whole gestalt of what they're feeling. And sometimes our physical symptoms can get so lost with the description of our emotional ones that I think it can skew the diagnosis. And um, there is evidence that uh, the more you talk about your emotions, you know, with it, a psychological conversation can, can um, generate a more psychological diagnosis. I mean, there has been some research done on that but I do think that women need to, well, first on the other thing that really surprised me in terms of conversation is that 50% of women either lie to their doctors or minimize the symptoms. And that half of those women that do that don't think it matters. Well, you know, if you're not going to tell your doctor what you're feeling, your physical as well as your emotional symptoms, I'm not saying you know, don't talk about them. And if you're going to, and he says, how are you feeling? And you say, okay, when really your pain is screaming out the window, I don't think that that's a good way to get an accurate diagnosis. And women seem to do that more than men do. So that's really what I meant about miscommunication. It's it's just as much on the patient's part as it is on the doctor's part.
0: I, I found that interesting, uh, that women lie to the doctors because, you know, you're, you're there to find out what's wrong with you. So, um, lying would clearly not be beneficial, (laughs) but I did think about this, uh, you know, and, and I've seen, um, therapists in the past or psychologists or whatever. And I, you do have an urge to present yourself as better than you actually are.
1: Yes. Yes. Myself included. We all want to be the good patient. Yeah. I mean, that's really true. And what really surprised me, and I have done this and I don't do it anymore, but only 15% of women will tell the doctor if they don't understand what they're hearing. So that means that 85% of us leave the doctor's office not being exactly sure what the heck went on. And that is not good because you really need to understand what's being said to you, you need to be sure that you're comfortable with it, that you and your doctor are on the same page, et cetera. Um, So to walk out and pretend that you understood when you didn't is doing yourself a major disservice.
0: Yeah. And that goes back to, um, I do a lot of work with, um, health communication, of course, at the population level, but what you just said made me think about, um, how much that matters, you know, in in the one-on-one setting, um, the medical setting, um, and, uh, you know, there's tools that they give you, like basic language tools or how to present things to people, but th- there is an art to communication too, you know?
1: Sure, there is. Yeah. Sure there
0: and is. some, and maybe someone is less approachable than somebody else, you know? So, um, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, but that is an issue if you're not, you know, asking for clarification or if you don't understand something. Um,
1: but I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> yeah, I do too. And I also think that when a doctor isn't approachable, Either you have to, can I use the word, manipulate the situation so that you feel more comfortable, or you have to find a new doctor with whom you're more comfortable, because there have also been studies done, as I'm sure you know, that the relationship between doctors and patients is as critical to the patient's uh, ability to to get some physical relief as much as anything. If you feel your doctor doesn't like you or you don't understand what he or she says, just Go, leave, you know, leave, get a different doctor if you can. i I come from Los Angeles and now I'm yeah. in San, San Francisco. So I have a ton of doctors to choose from. Yeah. But nevertheless, not everybody has those resources. I understand that.
0: Yeah, yeah. What made you move
1: to, can I ask what made you move to San Francisco? Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, two things, actually. I have two daughters, both of whom are up here. So I was coming, Fred and I were coming up every two, three weeks. In fact, when the kids were little, their teachers thought we lived up here because we were there so often so we moved up but also I'm actually in the wine country I'm north of San Francisco and it's a wonderful oh, place to nice. live i never moved back to L. I loved LA I really did I'm one of the few people that do yeah but I love it up here oh, I have my. I mean it's so rural we're in the country that's nice down the block and cows and oh. guys uh, around the corner as a pig I mean it's really fun for me oh. I love that kind of thing
0: yeah oh that sounds lovely
1: it is lovely. It's yeah. just lovely. It's yeah. a wonderful place, really a piece of the country.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you if you could talk a little bit about I, this. I found this um, interesting. Uh, I think people who are listening to this podcast will like this example about the, the actress who went in the business suit versus the actress who wore something more colorful. Like I guess something, you know, you might see at a, I don't know, a Grateful Dead concert or something. Yes. And they- <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly
1: right that's I what I was I was thinking, I was thinking, thinking
0: Grateful gonna... Dead because he said San Francisco and I'm also a Grateful <laughs> Dead fan so like I just no I wasn't picking on that band I love that band um, <laughs> but um they
1: described the same symptoms right and what happened well as I'm trying to recall it frantically here yeah but I think the, the woman in the business suit got a more accurate diagnosis is that correct
0: uh, yes that's what I yes or wasn't and the other one was more like emotional or stress
1: related. Yeah, the business suit I think was more more accurate. I think more accurate is accurate. That. More obje- that's right, and yeah. more objective. And I think the other the other woman used more flamboyant language and talked about what she felt like. And again, yeah. we were saying earlier that certainly skews the diagnosis. Yeah, that, that's really my point. Same same symptoms delivered differently can really make a difference in the accuracy of your diagnosis.
0: Yeah. And, or like what you wear, for example, could have. Yeah, you. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: okay. So this, I, I'm very interested um, in how much medication we take and, and the affordability Ooh, yes. of medication. Um, yes. In chapter yes. six, pill for every ill, you write that Americans take an average of four prescription drugs every day and women are prescribed more
1: pills than men. Right. So what what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts are a couple of things. First of all, because we want to take care of our children, we want immediate physical relief. We don't want to have to deal with not feeling well, So we sometimes can tend to reach for that that bottle or request um a particular prescription from our doctor. And I think also, incidentally, that women have more diseases such as anxiety and depression, chronic diseases, which are more easily treated by medication than some of the other diseases around. So I think there's also viable reasons for this. Um, I don't want to pretend that there's not. But I just think that it's really important and, and this is something we haven't talked about yet. For women to do their research, and I think it's so important to research the disease you have, research your symptoms, and be sure that the that the prescriptions you're given don't interfere with each other or things that you're taking. You know, so all the the United States and New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that allowed drugs to be marketed to consumers. And I don't know if this is true worldwide, but in the United States, the drug addicts target women. Women make about 80% of all the health purchasing decisions. And the pharmaceutical companies know that. So we're the ones... That they're aiming their their commercials at. And we're the ones that respond. I think it's like one or two, I can't remember if it's two-thirds or one-third of, of people that watch a drug ad will call it take some sort of action, either call their doctor and make an appointment. I mean, these ads are very, very persuasive and they're very well done. If you'll notice, they'll have a lot of them will have children in it because they know that women take care of their children first. Some a lot of them have pets for the same reason. Um and I think that, and in fact, I, I read an article that said that drugs that are advertised to consumers actually sell nine times more than drugs that aren't. I mean, that's a phenomenal difference. It really yeah. is. Yeah.
0: Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't watch a lot of TV uh, lately, but I remember like swings and running through flowers. That's and right. Gray that's skies right. to blue skies.
1: Yes, of course. <laughs>
0: and and then, then,
1: then only after you've taken the medication that's been promoted before that, the skies are gray and stormy. Right. And you know,
0: <laughs> and then you're running in like a beautiful dress through flowers. Yes, yes, um, your and,
1: long hair trailing by. Yes,
0: <laughs> your long hair and the wind bl- blowing the hair that looks, you know, it's amazing and everything's yeah. great and you're smiling. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, but you also hear like the guy who sounds like, his uh former job was an auctioneer right yeah. going, through, going through the side effects nobody actually can hear them because you're just oh, oh. You can't at all. Uh. <laughs> Watch, watching someone run through the flowers <laughs> so and he's true. like eh, and liver disease and shortness yeah. of breath and you know, uh, yeah I was doing just <laughs> he reminds me of the auctioneer voice um but you know, uh, I
1: think, um- in addition to all that we've been saying, I think the most important thing that, that I recommend when it comes to taking drugs or not taking drugs, and I feel strongly, is you have to come home and do your research. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. I, I recently had a, a sore thumb. No, no big deal but I've never had joint pain in my life. I don't have arthritis, whatever it was, I thought I did. not So my thumb hurt. And because I had written this book and now I feel like I, can, I have everything in the world, I decided it was probably thumb cancer. So I went to the, I mean, just, you know, that's who I am. So I, I went to the hand doctor and she said, no, you do have arthritis. And she gave me a pill and I said, well, you know, the only thing I'm really on is Lexapro because my husband died and I'm taking it for depression, and she said, no, there's, there's no interaction, no problem. So I go home, and because of my book, I looked it up. And of course, there's, there, she was mostly right. There's a 1% interaction between this particular drug and Lexapro. But the 1% is that it can lead to a brain bleed. Now, we're talking a sore thumb versus a brain bleed. And I know 1% is teeny, unless you're in the 1%. And then it's not so good. So I threw out the prescription, my thumb healed all by itself and living, you know, healthily ever after. But nevertheless, I am I was really glad that I did my research because it wasn't worth the risk. The risk could have been so severe and the benefit. So, I mean, I have nine other fingers. I could have been just fine. You
0: know? Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that's a justification for no. losing a thumb. Uh, Thank you anyway. You know. Yeah 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 thumbs are important and
1: um bodies can heal themselves that's the other message there depending of course on what you my thumb is perfect now so there you go
0: <laughs> well I'm glad to hear that uh it, that it worked out um yeah and, me too yeah yeah and I think this it's just you you know and you um can be your own advocate and I think it's important too good. some people may not have you know they they should have an advocate if if right. yeah if they right. can't be their own advocate I think that's important too.
1: And for those of you that have a computer, the information on it sometimes, I mean, some of, there's a lot of misinformation, but there's also a lot of, like the 1%. I mean, I really didn't want to, I mean, it's funny, but it isn't. Incidentally, at the back of the book is the most important part of the book. I have this huge resource list that I really worked hard on. And it tells you how to research everything. I've done your work for you. You don't have to research. Just go to the back of the book and it'll tell you where to go. That's um, good. That's great. It, is, it really is. I researched my doctors to see where they were trained and what their specialties are. Um, if a friend has to go to the hospital, thank God it hasn't been me yet. I research to see what how what the hospital's rating is. I mean, some hospitals can have an A in cardiology and a C in neurology or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You want to make sure if you have the resources. Available and by that I mean again in LA and San Francisco there's a ton of hospitals. Yeah, so, lots know, of options. Yeah, right. Yeah, You yeah. have to have the options, but still. Yeah. Um,
0: um, I want the I I wrote down um you know a part uh, about drug ads, which made me think I was just reading a study, um you know they always say that lowering drug drug prices will hurt innovation, um but that time and time again that's shown not to be true. Uh, right. And, right. but but when they broke it down in this one study and I'm not, I'm, I'm not quoting it here because I can't remember it specifically but yeah. um most of the ad money the marketing money which was significantly more than what was being spent you know, mm-hmm. percentage-wise on um research and development uh, was these TV ads
1: exactly yeah. they're enormously expensive
0: yes yeah they're expensive but they also i guess must have a great return on investment they Uh, have a
1: huge return yeah i mean think about everybody that sees a drug ad and 30 to 40 percent take some sort of action after seeing the i mean that's a lot of people
0: yeah well i guess uh it's marketing the power of marketing um substantial i mean really in the u.s in the u.s and new zealand (laughs)
1: Yes, right. That's right. That's right. yeah. And actually, it'd be really fun to do a comparison of, let's say, Lexapro, which is advertised here, and what happens in England or France? Is it taken as as frequently? That's true. And then, true. Of course, yeah, I wonder. Then you don't know if it's cultural or if it's marketing. But nevertheless, yeah,
0: um, yeah, that's true. Though, does it doesn't make a difference? Um, no, that
1: could be a good public health issue. There you go.
0: <laughs> or
1: your third book. <laughs> my third book, right?
0: <laughs> Um, so I love the part of your book where you talk about how women have been misre- misrepresented and downplayed uh, in history for a long, long, long time. Oh, that's
1: my favorite chapter.
0: Oh, and some of the examples are great. And I love this, you know, for, uh, in ancient Greece, doctors thought our issues were due to the wandering uterus.
1: Yes. Um, yes. Then and I just, stirred up to our brain. You know? <laughs> I, as I read
0: that, I laughed out loud. Cause I said, I have, I've had more problems due to wandering penises than wandering, like <laughs> exactly <laughs> like that has and, caused me a
1: heck of a lot more problems than and serious my wandering it, uterus <laughs> i had a great morning researching wandering penises and trying to see if there was any evidence at all that they thought anything like that about a man's body which that me, I, there was no evidence but for about a month or two i got some really weird websites that came up and I, you know. <laughs> Oh God!
0: i guess if you look hard enough online you'll find something Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I actually did look hard and actually I didn't, but I missed it. I tell people like there's all this uh chatter over misinformation online and I keep going back to guys, we gave everybody an internet connection. Like really? why why are you surprised by this? Like, you know, you could exactly <laughs> I mean think about all the people you'd run into in a restaurant, yeah. a bar. Um, everybody's out there now, like typing away their opinions like of course there's going to be false information online like why is this like
1: why why is this such a big deal I know yeah like
0: you just have to know how to you have to know how to respond when you're confronted with any sort of information you know um (laughs) don't run to the hills with it like but like (laughs) this idea like oh misinformation is a huge issue online I'm like well yeah that's like everybody and their brother's online um that, that's
1: a fun chapter isn't
0: it it is uh and the word his, which i didn't know hysteria came from the greek word for uterus yes that's interesting
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and then you talked about
1: gloria Steinem's essay 19- oh i loved that
0: if you, men could
1: menstruate oh that was i mean you're too you're too young to have read it at the time but i mean it was my it was you know breaking news really it was hilarious yeah yeah
0: and what uh, what was she? I mean, I love Gloria Steinem. I didn't actually, yeah. But what was? I guess like, uh, I don't know if you want to talk more or give more examples. But
1: what's the point? The point is, this has been well, going I mean, on. I'll tell you what. The the point okay. is actually interesting to me because I think that unconsciously a lot of us have internalized some of this. Um, I think that blame and shame is one is one one reason we feel so shamed. Is uh, we've been shamed for years. Um, I think I said in the book, too, come to think of it, that, I mean, it, and it again, transcends cultures, the Dutch um, considered, you know, <laughs> having a daughter, it was like a, a house full of daughters was like a cellar full of sour beer. And I think it was the Zulus considered daughters like weeds and the Chinese maggots And the I mean, it was, it was, you know, daughters are not honored, we're not revered in any kind of a way. And I think that's still true. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Well, even was, just like menstrual equity across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that article. Can't go to
0: school because they can't, they don't have uh, supplies,
1: to, you know, for menstruation. Right. Um, right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And some of the women, did you read the recent articles on menopause that um, women have been really, for years, it's been misrepresented and that men- women have not have, are having serious physical symptoms. And menopause has not been acknowledged as the culprit. Um, women have been told to get it together, kind of thing. Women su- culturally, the author was saying that women su- were accustomed to women suffering, and we play it down. We don't give women suffering the same importance that we give to to men who suffer. Yeah, and I think that's true. I think that's true. And um, I think that comes somewhat from the history. I also wrote it because it was just great fun. <laughs> I had more fun researching it and I wanted to share. But I do think it's one of the, the unconscious reasons. I do think these, these nasty things have been internalized and yeah. they're fun to read. But when you think about it, they're not so funny, you know.
0: I mean, even like, I mean, and your book focuses on, uh, you know, it's related to health. Right. Uh, but i would also just in terms of getting older and aging and and you know how when, culturally and society like oh you're this as an aging woman and that's changing a lot me. but um, sometimes yeah. you know but it's still very much there like oh you 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 stop being attractive at right.
1: 30 right like it's it and I, now that i'm older i mean yeah i mean i i've experienced it somewhat not too much cuz most of the people i know kind of don't do that Yes. but nevertheless i had there was a couple of friends of one of my daughters that they would introduce me and then the woman would just k- kept on talking i was i've never been so invisible in my life i got a strong personality and she i kept saying to, to my daughter she doesn't know what she's missing because she just talks right <laughs> over to me like and, i yeah. wasn't there and i yeah. mean I was, I was well i think it. you
0: were right she didn't know what she was missing
1: here so yeah, well, thank you <laughs> yeah
0: um, that's and and, and this and people, not everybody does it. There's a, a segment of the mainstream, maybe you know, misogynistic men and misogynistic women. Um, yes, and, sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, and they judge women by a very small, uh, stupid set yes. of standards. Yes. Um, very much so. Yeah. Probably set by you know men, pot sure. sure. bellies, or whatever. But true. um, <laughs> but yeah, that's true. And it's important that you have to uh, it's not wise and it's stupid. And as long as you know, what else, there's another group of people out there who, right. who are smart, who have wisdom, right. And see right through right. That. And, and yeah, that's those people that you want to associate with and and surround yourself with.
1: Cause it can be, um, otherwise it can be depressing, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. But and just to go back to the history, I mean, women's bodies are still being demeaned, denigrated, oh. whatever word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it hasn't changed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like do all this stuff to. Uh, I think there's some, I, I, there are women, um, I, I guess they're older than me and, and I admire them. Um, you know, and I admire people like you as well, like just kind of like changing the narrative, you know, um, Ryan. shedding the light for us and then, and, and yeah, and like being pioneers in, um, because you know, you know, it has to be done and it's, uh, it's I work. think
1: on some of this, like menopause I think we have to break the silence too yeah i think there has to be a much more conversation about menstruation menopause illness whatever oh, there
0: a great cartoon um and this i think this goes back to what we are allow ourselves to talk about or what we were always told don't talk about it you know like yeah. go home and your friends come into town um you know, if you had your period, there was this great yeah. cartoon I saw where, like, um there's this whole battle. It's soldiers fighting each other, and it shows the guys sitting there watching it. It's bloodshed, and then there's the next. It compares it to there's a picture of one maxi pad which has blood on it, and the men go running for the hills. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's fabulous. I said that is like one 100... on. I don't remember who the artist was, but I was like, oh is that man, that New Yorker that is... cartoon or what?
1: That's <laughs> yeah, fabulous. It was like,
0: yeah, it was a cartoon. It was just perfect. I'm like, oh man, that is, you hit it out of the ballpark. <laughs> well, I thought the Gloria Steinem thing that you mentioned
1: was perfect.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she, yeah, it's it, a lot, similar vein, of course. Right. Um, so do you see, I have two more questions for you. Do you see this improving at all? Like are women um, managing their health better? Are we moving in the right direction? What are your thoughts?
1: I do, I do see improvement. And yes, I do think that we're moving in the right direction. Um, I think books like mine, and there's, there's many others out there that are similar in tone, I think really help. I think that I think the wellness industry, in spite of what I just said about it, I think has really helped. Excuse me. I think it's called attention to that we do have some control. Anyway, we do have some control. And I think that the wellness industry has pointed that out. I think they it's gone overboard a little bit, but certainly it's true. I mean, I don't recommend that women or people smoke or drink or don't exercise or you know I, I re- obviously I don't. Um, so I think there has been a great deal of improvement, and I think also now that women have been are being admitted to clinical trials, eventually will even get published and funded for research. I don't think I mentioned. That prostate cancer, for example, gets more research money than uterine cancer, cervical cancer, and those are more fatal, ovarian cancer, and they, prostate yeah. the pro- prostates get the money, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I do think there's improvement, and I think it will continue to improve. Yeah. Um, well, let's hope.
0: Let's hope. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But we, but we can't... Um sit and be quiet on the sidelines No,
1: i don't think so i really don't and i i I really want to go back to getting that second opinion don't be quiet you know go get one
0: (laughs) yeah yeah um so this was great susan and i was wondering if you could share like if people want to read your book if if you have a website if you have a newsletter because uh you mentioned you're writing another book and um I, I want to know when that's coming out. I'm sure other people do
1: too. It's going to take me a while. In fact, I've already made my children promise they'll publish it posthumously because <laughs> it just <laughs> takes me a while. But anyway, um, I think it's the book is available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you, um, you know, wherever you buy books. It's called okay. Sidelined, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health.
0: I I'll post a link to uh, amazon oh
1: that'd
0: be great yeah, yeah. Or if there's a website you want me to share um but i encourage everybody to read it. i really enjoyed it
1: thank um, you so much. and i do have a website it's susansalinger.com and salinger is s-a-l-e-n-g-e-r so okay. it's spelled a little differently um okay. but so thank you that would yes. be nice if you would post that'd be great
0: absolutely and thank you so much for coming on this was great you're so welcome. I really enjoyed talking with you. Oh, likewise, you. likewise, yeah. Anytime. I mean, Thanks. I I know. Uh, I mean, if you're still around, uh, <laughs> let's hope. Right? I think. I mean, hey, sounds. It sounds like things are going good. Uh, like well, so, so far, so good. So far, so good. So, so, far, was, so, good. so <laughs> you're
1: still around. Have a certain amount of control, right? Yeah, exactly. As a as we mentioned
0: earlier <laughs> on, but. Um, You're more than welcome to come back on or, you know, uh, let me know when that book comes out. Um, Oh,
1: for sure. I'd love to.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day there. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining in. I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. She was a lot of fun to talk to. And I hope that you read Susan's book. I will be sure to link to it in the podcast description and in my newsletter which will be helpful if you subscribe to my newsletter. If you don't, I hope you do. Uh, If you go to my blog, bloomingwellness.com, a a newsletter pop-up thing uh, pops up. (laughs) Yeah. And you can add your email. And don't worry, I won't spam you. I hardly send my newsletter out on time. I'm supposed to follow a schedule, but you know how that goes. Life gets in the way. But anyhow, the newsletter is just a good way to know who is on the podcast and when, and then you can write me directly if you have uh, ideas for guests and, you know, all that. All right. And now for a quote. Well, this is a quote in Susan's book at the start of chapter four, which talks about communication between doctors and patients. Um, But, you know, as someone who does a lot of work in sci comms or scientific communications um, and as a human as far as I know, I am, and as a human who sees us as becoming increasingly tribal and where the goal is to be right and not to understand, this quote rings true for me. Um, It's by George Bernard Shaw. So here it goes. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. I dig that. All right, guys, Um, I hope you tune in next time and have a great rest of the day. Bye for now. Eeks out. I always wanted to say that. Uh, Just roll with it. Eeks out. Okay, (laughs) maybe that'll be my epitaph. Eeks out. Um, All right. Anyways, I'm signing off now. See you here soon. Bye.